here's to hoping that the print on my sermon is big enough because I left the house without either pair of glasses. And believe me, it makes for interesting words when you're trying to sing a hymn and you can't read them. Hopefully I didn't mumble too much to throw Scott off. So tonight's sermon, or should I say fireside chat, because Sunday evenings it seems so uh, familial when you just have one side of the, one side of the church, um, was inspired uh, not this past week, but the week before. And uh, for those of you that have, have gotten up here and preached before, uh, I'm sure you've gone through this every so often where something just hits you or with one of those psychic kicks to the head of, boy, this really needs to be a sermon. So hopefully you'll, you'll get out of it what, what I got out of it at the time. So I was helping my brother uh, with the situation that he's going through. In fact, we were uh, helping him again uh, all day today. That's why I slipped in at the last minute. And I'd picked up some of his things in, in my car and then met him to, to transfer them to his car. And so I've got my car full of his stuff. And I'm transferring my, his stuff to, you know, from my car to his car, and he's watching me. And I started to think to myself, self, because that's what I call myself, there's something wrong with this situation. I'm like, why don't you, this is your stuff, why don't you help me? So he starts helping me with, you know, getting his stuff over, and he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Now, I'm kind of a militant anti-smoker, not a non-smoker, but an anti-smoker. My, uh, my grandfather and my father were both smokers, and um, it led to my grandfather's death because of cancer, and it led to uh, one of the contributing factors to my father's dementia. And both my mother and grandmother had severe uh, respiratory diseases because of their, their smoking habits. So, you know, uh, I don't like the smell of smoke. I don't like being around, you know, smokers. Um, and I certainly don't want smoke in my car. I don't want ash in my car. So, you know, I started to get upset. I'm like, hey, don't smoke in my car. You know, so he, you know, takes his cigarette out and, of course, being his older brother, I always have to point out what he's doing wrong, right? Yeah. You know, it's my job to fix him. Like Abby tries to fix Olivia. You know, <laughs> kind of how that works. And so I got, I got angry. I got full of what I would call righteous indignation. Anybody ever feel that before? You feel like, hey, that's my car. You got no right to be smoking in my car. And so I was driving to work after, after all this. You know, I'd driven all the way down to St. Mary's County and then had to drive from St. Mary's County to Reston, Virginia, out by Dulles Airport, you know, to go back to work. And I was getting mad. You know, I did all this for him, and he's smoking in my car. Then I started to think, now, wait a minute. I'm the one smoking in God's car. I'm the one messing up what he set aside for me. I got no business poking other people. I'm the one with a cigarette hanging out of my mouth and getting ash in God's car. And so the scripture here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, starting verse 7, came to mind. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, It'll be measured to you. 
So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let's take the speck, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and you will see more clearly, you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And after thinking about that, I started to think, wait a minute, I got a two by four coming out of my eye. So I had no right to be swinging that in my brother's eye. With everything he has going on in his life, my brother has a lot of trials going on in his life right now. We both lost our mother back in April, and he's got a lot of other things going on in his world. The last thing he needs is for his brother to be given a hard time about a cigarette in his mouth. So if anybody's falling short, I'm falling short. So the lesson tonight is titled, Who Am I? Who am I to be full of righteous indignation? If you look over to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 27, Jesus tells the disciples, Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, that's what he asked, you know, what the two laws were. And in the midst of all this, I asked, am I truly loving my brother? What does he need? Does he need somebody coming down on him again? Or does he need something to give him gentleness and comfort? And the word love that's used here is the word agape. The type of familial love. That means you're going to go to some extraordinary lengths for somebody. It's not a feeling, but more of an action. An action of selflessness for someone else. That's the ideal that we should be striving for. And we all fall short. And I know that you've all heard this, this passage out of 1 Corinthians. It seems that at every wedding, they like to quote this. And a lot of people interpret it to be between a husband and a wife, but it's really between all of us. And Paul writes, beginning in verse 13 in 1 Corinthians, If I speak in tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. 
When I became a man, I put, away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only reflection as in a mirror, and we should see face to face. For, I, for now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these in love is love. And if you read carefully in the first statements that Paul makes, when he talks about the if I have questions, they're focused on self. If I have these things, if I give away all my money so that I can boast, it's all selfishly driven. But the aspect of love is directed outwards. It's an act of giving. And if we're truly applying love, we are looking outwards as well. No matter how we approach our relationships, what kind of heart do we have when we approach our relationships? We can spend hours and hours in Bible study and worship, but we have to take it to a heart and apply it to our lives. And James captured it well, I believe, in James chapter 1. So, my dear, in beginning in verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And trust me, with my brother, he knows how to push my buttons. And I am not slow to be angry with my brother. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Remember I talked earlier about that righteous indignation? There was nothing righteous about my indignation. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And don't merely, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word does not do what it says. It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom... And continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So the nature we should have is forgiving and patient and kind. And I learned long ago not to pray for patience. Right? You pray for patience, God sends you trials to teach you patience. So I'll claim semi-intelligence for that one. But we shouldn't be talking bad about other people. We shouldn't be bringing each other down. We should be building each other up. And we should be taking care of one another. And all too often it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking about self. And that's what happened to me. But that's why we need to stay together as brothers and sisters in Christ. To stay in the family. To build each other up. To stay focused on living pleasing lives of service to him. We have been given such a great gift from God. In Christ Jesus that took all our sins away. Remember, that's not something that we've earned. It is a gift given from God. And if we've been given such a gift, how should we treat one another? Can we even give a small portion of the grace that's been given to us? 
In Matthew chapter 18, he tells us a parable of an unmerciful servant, beginning in verse 21. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And here Peter thought he was being smart. Right? Seven was the perfect number. Right? Back then the law said you only had to forgive somebody three times. Peter thought he was being smart. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, countless times. And then Christ goes on to tell them, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He began a settlement. A man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what, he, what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. Everybody sees what happened, what happened, what's happening here. God has canceled our debt, and we tend to hold other people's debts. And in this case, the master called the servant in and said, You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to jailers to be tortured, and he should pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So that's the ideal that we're to strive for. That same heart that Christ has should be the heart that we have. The time that we have on this earth is fleeting. And we never know when our Father's going to call us home. Live each day as if it's the last. Love each other if it's the last chance you're going to have. Because we can't rely on the things of this world that let you down. People you think you know you've known for years, later find out that they've been cheating on their spouses or they've been bezzling for their companies. The only constant in this world is the unfailing, unending power and love of God. I think if you look in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he also captured it very well. Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. If God's blessed you, bless those around you. And there's nothing wrong with saving for a rainy day. We need to be careful where that credit goes, though. And we need to be careful just that we may have if we have more than somebody else in the world, that doesn't give us the right to feel more important than them, nor does it give us the right to stop working for the Lord. And I'm not going to read this whole parable, but in Luke chapter 12 talks about a rich man who had a great harvest. He said to himself, hey, I, now I can store up in the barns, take it easy down the road. But the Lord said to him, you fool, this very day your life will be demanded from you. But there was a man sent to this world 
that gives us the example. No matter where we are at our station in life, we shouldn't be looking to our own greatness. But look above, because everything comes from, from God. And Christ himself is described in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking up the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So when I ask the question of myself at the beginning of this lesson, who am I? I'm a work in progress. Trying to be an example of what God wants me to be. And in order to get there, I needed to be reminded of Jesus' words in Mark chapter 10. When Jesus called his disciples together, beginning in verse 42, he said, You know that those who are regarded of rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. So we're about to stand up and sing a song of encouragement. And so as I would also encourage you as we start our week to go out and to be servants for Christ.